You'll please take your Bibles and turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And as you are turning, let me um, just bring up again one of our announcements uh, because it came at a pretty quick um, clip. So again, next Sunday... Uh, after the service, the Korean Church Open Kingdom is going to provide the meal. So it's not going to be a normal fellowship lunch. So the idea is that you bring nothing um, and they will do the whole meal. And the purpose behind that is they want to do a fundraiser. So um, they're asking for donations. So if you stay next week, um, please do so. They would love that. Um, but you don't have to bring anything to the meal. They provide everything. And then simply you would provide a donation to help them uh, cover the costs and as they proceed to go down to Haiti. And so, again, this is happening pretty quick. We understand that. Um, but it was... Uh, they're looking to, to go down, at least Paul go down in March. And so they needed to, to do this in a pretty quick fashion. So uh, sorry for the short notice, um, but it is what it is. And so again, please, hopefully you've heard me um, next week. If you bring food, uh, we'll put it out um, or you can take it home or actually go out and sell it, whatever you need to do. Um, but um, the Korean church will be uh, providing it for us. So please uh, be aware of that. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're still in chapter 1, but we're going to finish it up today. Again, we need to remind ourselves of the context of why Paul is about to give this prayer in verses 11 and 12. So the context is this, in the midst of persecutions and afflictions, both within the church and outside of the church, um, the Thessalonians are growing in faith and they're growing in love for one another. And so Last week we looked at the one verses, our verses 5 through 10, but it's one Greek sentence. And so we looked at it and we kind of unpacked it because there is coming a day where Jesus is going to come back and everything is going to be judged. And so either we're going to be judged by our works, which sends us to heaven, or we're judged in the Lord Jesus Christ that allows us to receive his righteousness. So in the midst of those persecutions and afflictions, it really does show us that we are the sons and daughters of God. And therefore, we're a part of the body of Christ. And so we can rejoice that God is continually changing us to look like his son. So that's the context of the prayer that you're about to read from Paul for the Thessalonians, verses 11 and 12 this morning. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. Heavenly Father, we, as we speak of prayer, Lord, we know that this is one of the greatest things that you've ever given to us, the ability to communicate from the creator to the creation and back again. So, Father, truly give us eyes to see and hearts to understand. Lord, let us truly soak in what it means to be your children and you being our loving Father who continually establishes us in faith and in love. And so, Father, we do pray that you would make us look more like our Savior today than when we came. For we do pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. 
So the first thing we're going to see is that there's the words always praying in regards to this intercessory prayer. So the first thing we have to understand, it's a way of life. It should be prayer for us. It should be a way of life. And sometimes, if we're honest, a lot of us struggle. But I think sometimes we get caught up in thinking of prayer as being something different. And sometimes it becomes a thing that we just check off. And if prayers become that for you, I hope today will help change that. And because the idea is that it should be something that permeates everything that is about us. And so the first thing we're going to look at is that Paul teaches is that it's unlimited. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it means that we can have teaching times. I can be preaching to you. We can have times where we are talking to one another. We can have time together. But all of that time is limited. It's only prayer that is unlimited. Prayer you can do at any time in any place. And so even though Paul is no longer with the Thessalonians, it doesn't mean that he still doesn't have a ministry to them. He is praying for them in an unlimited manner. And so he runs to God who is the one who brings about change. Paul's not the savior to the Thessalonians. Jesus is. And so it's with that understanding that Paul continually goes before God and he prays for them in an unlimited manner. Not only is it unlimited, but it's unified. It's in God. And again, Christianity is the only religion where we have a God who is a tender, caring father. All other religions you have to earn. All other gods are tyrants. Jesus brings us to the God, the Father, who is a loving and tender dad. And as such, we're unified in the family. And so when we go in a unified manner, when we pray for one another, we're praying, listen, not as a wishful concern. It's an act. We're asking God to act. So when we say things like, I hope the kids arrive safely home while they're driving the car, that's not a wish. What we're doing is we're saying, God, please make them aware of the situations. Please don't allow them to be looking at their cell phones. Please don't allow them to be distracted. Lord, please let them be aware of the surrounding uh, situations they're in with uh, the weather. Lord, please let the people around them be more aware of the things. God, you act on their behalf. It's not just a, a drop in a coin in a wishing well. And so we have this ability to go to the Father and say, God, we want you to act in this reality of where we are as your people. And so we also have it always at our disposal. We should be constantly in prayer. Constant. And so it affects not just our future, but it affects our present and our future lives. Every bit of our lives should be affected by prayer. And so this is how he begins. He's saying, hey, I always pray for you. Now, we do need to kind of understand what is the purpose of prayer. Now, we need to understand because there is such thing as mistaken prayer. What do I mean by that? There are people who sometimes pray wrong prayers. Okay, It doesn't mean that they're not well-meaning, but sometimes, like if you pray that everybody wins the lottery, that's a prayer that doesn't make sense. God, I, I want everyone to be happy in the world. How do, you, how, do, how do you figure that? How do you answer that? So sometimes there's, there's wrong prayers, but there's also prayers, again, that are done with wrong motives. Look at James 4.3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly 
to spend it on your passions. See, again, we could be praying for what we think are good things, but they're not on God's priority list. And so we need to make sure that we're, we're praying the right prayers, we're praying with the right motives, and we're not demanding. I mean, we, we live in a this society where, again, um, people demand God. The whole name it and claim it group. God, you owe this to me. God doesn't own us anything. And so the reality is that we have to be mindful. Are we saying the right prayers? Because when we're saying the right prayers, it allows us to discern God's will. That's what we're trying to do. It's communication with the Father. And so when he puts us in difficult situations, remember, it's a loving dad who did that. And so when he puts us in there, the idea should be to listen to him in the midst of it. It's like Job in chapter 13, verse 15. Though you slay me, though you slay me, yet will I hope in him. We never lose our trust in the Father. Now it doesn't mean, because if you keep reading that verse, he says, I still argue my case before you. So he's not saying, hey, don't come to me with your, with your problems or your conflicts. He wants to hear. He's your dad. But don't think that just because you take it to him, that automatically he's going to take you out of the situation. We have to remind ourselves that God is changing us. He's not always changing situations. He's changing us as well. Then the third thing in the beginning of this, I want you to understand that there is a partnership in prayer. What do I mean? We talk about, and especially in Reformed churches, the idea of God's sovereignty. And so we know that God is the one who's in control of all things. Everything works out according to his purposes and his plans. And so there is the reality. We need God's strength. We need his power. We need his wisdom. We need his love. He is a perfect character. He knows all things. If you're going to have someone to pray to, you want someone who's perfect. You want someone who knows the end from the beginning. And this is who God is. But it's not something where we just simply go, well, I prayed to God. And it's over. There is a reality where there is man's responsibility. Meaning that we are not passive in it. So if you have the prayer of God, please get me up this morning. You don't just stay laying in bed. Please let me levitate out. Please lift me from this mattress and set me into the bathroom, please. You turn your feet. You stand up, you walk. So you, you're asking God, but there we are responsible for active participation. And we get this as, as just um, individuals, parents, we are always teaching our children, right? And sometimes we allow them to go through struggles and trials because we know it's the best thing for them. Now, I got permission to use this story about Jameson, and he, he told me, he said, Dad, if you tell the story, tell them I was very young. <laughs> so you know, Jameson was very young when this happened. So the Hunsucks are very nice to let me go over and fish on their dock and allow me to bring Jameson. And so I think they gave Jameson permission. We'll find out today. Um, 
But they gave Jameson permission to take their pool net and to go down into the canal, and Jameson was trying to scoop out minnows from underneath the boat on the dock. Okay, and as Jameson was trying to scoop out the minnows and get them, uh, Jameson leaned over just a little too far. Splash. He's under the boat with a pool net, and he starts to scream, Dad! Dad, help me! Now, my first inclination was to what? Jump in the water, pick him up, and set him on the dock. Well, being the wise father that I am, I know it's only about three feet deep underneath where the boat is. So I asked Jameson the question, are you okay? Yes, Dad, help me. Yes, Dad, help me. Are you okay? Yes. Then stand up. Walk or swim underneath the dock. There's a ladder on the other side. And you, amazingly, can save yourself. Life lessons. If we do that as human parents, why would we not think that God allows us to go through rough times to make us who we need to be? See, sometimes he allows persecution and suffering because he knows it drives us to him. It allows us to become more like the Savior. So there's the setting of we always need to be praying. The second thing is that Paul goes to prayer requests. Now, the first thing that Paul prays for is that we are worthy, that we might be worthy of the call that we have received. Now, again, this is one of those things that we struggle with sometimes because, again, we have to make the distinction between justification and our worthiness because justification, according to all you good Presbyterians who read the Westminster Shorter Catechism, is an act. It says an act. And an act is a one-time event. So at that point, there is justification that happens when there's the imputation of Christ's righteousness to us. It's a one-time event. And so we are worthy to be saved one time through Christ. However, there is an understanding that it's just not about justification. There is sanctification. And the Westminster Shorter Catechism defines it as this. It's a work, not an act. It's a work, which means it's ongoing So there is a reality as we are justified in Christ, then we are saved unto good works. Not by good works, but unto good works. So the way that we live begins to say whether we are justified or not justified. And in the midst of that, we begin to say things like this, that when we end up in the midst of persecution or afflictions or trials, get me out of this now. Right? Lord, I don't want to go through this. Get me out of this now. Now, what we want God to do is we want God to fix the situation. What does God want us to do? God wants us to walk by the Spirit. It's what Jim read for us earlier in the service. Galatians. The fruit, singular. Okay, it's not plural. You don't get to pick and choose which aspects of the fruit. It's one fruit. So you have to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so it, and it has to happen daily. 
Which means I have to desire, I have to die to my own desires so that I might have the desire to live for Christ. And so as this begins to happen, what Paul says is we have to have resolve. Now, again, this word could be a desire in your scripture. It could be purposes. It could be um, what the word that we have here, resolve, a desire. Which means that we want, we want what God wants. Listen, we don't want to have jellyfish Christians. What's a jellyfish Christian? A jellyfish Christian is someone who's just carried by the current of the day. Jellyfish can't steer themselves. They float. And so they float wherever the current takes them. So they don't get close to the beach over here when you go and see those Portuguese man of war. They didn't sit there and kind of steer their way into the beach. They get caught up in the current. And all of a sudden they get washed up in the sand and they sting you. But they didn't make any decision in that. God says we have the opportunity to have a desire for God's will. Which means it's not our selfish agendas that we look for. It's for God's will to be done. And when we do that, I think we need to be very specific and we need to be very direct. God's not looking for us to be wishy-washy. He's not looking for us. He wants us to be direct and specific in our prayers. And when we do that, what happens is we start to see the good. And not only that, he says, I want you to have the last thing, the third thing of the prayer, have works of faith. Now this flows from faith. Write this down because it's, it's too long of a passage. So write this down in your notes. James 2 verses 14 through 26 James 2:14 through 26 What good is it my brothers if someone says he has faith but does not have works can that faith save him if our brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body what good is that so also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. For even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and is counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So it it means that what Paul is praying is that there needs to be a flowing of the Spirit. It flows, and what it flows to is it means we need to make sure that we have kingdom eyes. What What do I mean by that? Every time that you encounter a situation, you said, why does my loving Heavenly Father, why has He put me in this situation? That's the question you should ask. Why has my heavenly loving father put
put me here. When we begin to do that, we should also remind ourselves, again, by our actions, by our history, by the faith in the scripture, knowing that God is always faithful. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We learned that a couple weeks ago. Remember with Hein, who's in the prison latrine? And God sends him the right scripture at the right time. And so God speaks to us and he says, I have the faith for you. I give you the ability to do what you need to do. And what happens is you begin to have spiritual fruit. You begin to love people that you didn't like before. You begin to have joy in situations that typically would have made you very angry. You begin to show loving kindness to those around you who you typically would have cut in line before. See, it's not in our natural instincts to do the things of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not. Just just go out in the world and see how quickly you nice Christian people can become very vengeful and angry and cut people off and show digits that you shouldn't be showing and saying words that you shouldn't be saying. It means well. It's when we stop and say, God, by your faith, God, you've got to give me a love for these people. Because in my own power, I can't do it. And when we do that, when we begin to have those kind of requests for ourselves and for others, the reality is, is here's the results. That the Lord would be glorified. See, here's the reality. Um, our actions reflect upon the Lord. So again, if we are living in such a way that we bring shame, listen, this is what Romans 2, 21 through 24 says. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. See, it's one thing to, to talk a great game. Again, we always say, but you've got to walk the walk. And so the reality is, by the way that we live our lives, really does reflect upon Christ. It's why people start saying, I mean, Chris and I, when we go to the um, Mexican restaurant that we go to, and, and we were talking to the owner, and she was very clear, I don't go to church. Well, why don't you go to church? Hypocrites. They cared more about what I was wearing than me coming to church and meeting Jesus. Bless you. So there's the reality that again, and again, we can't do this in our own power. (laughs) That's where it drives us back to Christ. It drives us back to prayer. God, I want to kill this person. Help me not to. And Lord, not only not help me not kill them, let me love them. We all know what it's like, right? I mean, as a, as a pastor, I mean, just me as an individual, I have a long fuse, which means you can do a lot of things to me. Rush off my back. Not a big deal, not a big deal. But I have a snapping point. And at the snapping point, I'm like, 
Okay. You want to get real? Let's get real. And all that stuff I've been stuffing for 12 years, it's going to come out in this one meeting. Here we go. Hold on. Or do I sit down and say, not what I want. Not revenge, not vengeance. Lord, how can I love this person the way that Christ loved them? You shut your mouth. You put the pen down. You don't fight for what's right. You show forgiveness and mercy and grace. When that happens, God's glorified. That's the reality that, again, we are seeking for him to be glorified and praised. And how does that happen? Matthew 5. You, you are the light of the world. For a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory, not to you, but they give it to your father who's in heaven. They should ask when they see you, they should ask what is different about you? And you should say, it's my heavenly father. When that happens, as we're giving glory to the father, then he's in glorified. We're glorified in him. Which means that we get to the place, listen, we have to get to the place where, I, where we say, I am tired of me. I'm tired of me and my agenda. I'm tired of me and my self-righteousness. I'm tired of me and what I want. I want what God wants. And when we want what God wants, then we are glorified in him. John Owen says this, He who prays as he ought will endeavor to live as he prays. And that only happens by God's grace. Because it's impossible without him. So we go to him begging God to change us to look more like our Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to end with this story. It's from John John MacArthur. Brought it to my attention, and it's a story about the Pony Express. And so he says, The Pony Express was a private express company that carried mail by an organized relay on horseback, of horseback riders. Their eastern end was St. Joseph's, Missouri, and the western terminal was in Sacramento, California. The cost of sending a letter by Pony Express was $2.50 an ounce. If the weather and horses held out and the Indians held off, that letter would complete the entire 2,000-mile journey in a speedy 10 days, as did the Lincoln's inaugural address. It may surprise you, though, that the Pony Express was only in operation from April 3, 1860 until November 18, 1861. Just 17 months. Why? Because a telegraph line was completed between two cities, and so the Pony Express was no longer needed. This is what it meant to be a rider for the Pony Express. You were expected to ride 75 to 100 miles a day, changing horses every 15 to 25 miles. Other than the mail, the only baggage you were carried contained a few provisions, including a kit of flour, cornmeal, and bacon. And in case of danger, you also had a medical pack of turpentine, borax, and cream of tartar. 
In order to travel light and to increase speed of mobility during Indian attacks, the men also rode in shirt sleeves, even during the winter weather. How would you recruit volunteers for this hazardous job? In 1860, San Francisco newspaper printed this ad. Wanted, young, skinny, wiry fellows, not over 18, must be expert riders willing to die daily, orphans preferred. That was the the advertisement. Those were the honest facts of the service required, but the Pony Express never had a shortage of riders. Never. Why did he put this in here? He says, like the Pony Express, serving God is not a job for the casually interested. It's a costly service. God asked for your life. He asked for service to him to become a priority, not a pastime. Are we wanting, is our desire for Christ to be glorified more than anything else in the world? We figured that out. We figured that out. Then begin to pray for others the same way Paul prays for us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I am so grateful that you've given us the power of prayer because, Lord, it's not about pastors or missionaries. It's not about priests or Sunday school teachers or elders or deacons. It's about people saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who understand that they have the ability to talk to the creator of the universe not through anybody else except Jesus Christ alone. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a church that is bold in our prayers for one another for this church, for this city, Lord, even for the world, knowing that you hear us because you hear your son. And so, Father, even in the midst of persecution, struggles and hardships and afflictions that we go through, we know we are yours. And we know that you're a loving God who brings us into those situations. And maybe not to change the situation, but to change us so that we would give you all the glory and honor so that no matter the situation we would say with Job, though you slay me, I will always trust you because you are the only one who is faithful and just. So Father, thank you that you forgive us of our sins. You allow us to repent and you restore us to a good relationship so that we would have the privilege and the honor to build your kingdom, to build your church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and our Lord. And we pray this in his name, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.